thousand years they have ruled. Yet now there are only ten. A dying race ruled by a dying emperor imprisoned within themselves in a dying land. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a podcast where we talk about movies, specifically one that uh, somebody we know hasn't seen. Uh, I am Travis, the host, and joining me this week, I have David. Hello. And uh, Keith. Howdy. And returning from long ago, Patty. Hello. All right, so today we're going to talk about a movie from 1982 called The Dark Crystal. Um, Now... (sighs) It's kind of topical because they are. There's going to be a what is it? A prequel series? It's going to be a Netflix original. Is that later this year? I, think I actually just heard. I think it was supposed to be uh, 2019. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Th- today was the first I'd actually heard about it. So. Well, that's because you kind avoid <laughs> news and trailers and everything like the plague. So that's your own damn fault. Um, <laughs> well, I don't like being disappointed when the best parts of a movie are in the trailer. Yeah, that happens less and less now. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so there's the the prequel um, on Netflix coming out. It's multiple episodes from what I understand. But um, this movie, come to find out, uh, I had not seen it all the way through before. Um, I was actually on my way back from a work trip to Chicago over the weekend and uh, decided, hey, the Dark Crystal's on Netflix. I'm going to watch it. And sitting in the airport, watching it, realizing... Yeah, I don't remember most of this. Like, and it's funny because I know the Skeksis, I know the Gelflings, I I, rem- I know the the imagery. I've even quoted some lines from this movie. Just apparently never sat through and watched the whole thing. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and guess, David, you hadn't seen this before. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. But uh, Patty, you had. Yes. Yeah, and as I was watching it, I was trying to remember the last time I actually watched the whole thing through, and I'm pretty sure I was like between ten and twelve. <laughs> okay, well, so it's been a little while. Now, Keith, <laughs> just had, a minute. Yeah, Keith, had you seen this before? I have seen this before, and an interesting thing that this viewing was also my son's first viewing, and we'll get more into that later. Okay, yeah, that's very interesting. I want to I want to hear about that because this was a kids movie, but not um, not the Disney sanitized kind of friendly kids movie that um, this, this wasn't the sugar sweet <laughs> kids fare that you would get at that point in time. No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, I was doing some reading um, about kind of the making of and some stuff, and apparently. That was a big thing for Jim Henson was he wanted this to be more like the old Grimm fairy tales because he felt as though it was unhealthy for kids to never be scared. Um, And so he wanted it to be, you know, a little bit scary. I can see that. Uh, I know that knowing what I was scared of and what movies I didn't enjoy because I thought they were scary as a kid, I definitely don't think I would have enjoyed this. And watching this, it just made me vividly remember a movie I have seen that scared me, uh, Fraggle Rock. Oh, you, <laughs> really? You didn't Fraggle like Rock uh, Fraggle Rock? Fraggle Rock was a show. Yeah, uh, whatever. I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, man, I miss the doozers. Yeah, I I loved Fraggle Rock. Um, that was like, now, that was like an HBO show, I think, but I remember seeing it as a kid. Somehow. It was. And I, we never had HBO, but I just remember somehow along the way we got uh, copies of it or it was showing somewhere and I, I loved Fraggle Rock. But Henson was great at making... Well, I think they showed that on PBS or something. Oh, that... You could be right. I know I saw it a lot and somewhere. I just... That I, was 30 years ago. I can't remember. <laughs> I was much shorter when I watched it. Yeah. There was a specific character I didn't <laughs> like. I don't think I didn't like all of them. The Gorks? I don't remember. I didn't could like they were the villains. But you know the, the big thing, warty-looking troll yeah. people, oh gorgs, yes, oh yeah, the big dudes. Uh, <laughs> well, you know the thing with it seems innocent enough, but I was a younger person then. Yeah, the thing with I Jim just Henson, remember distinctly not liking it. Yeah, well, huh. you know Jim Henson was great at making uh, kid-focused stuff that was you know it was a little challenging. I mean, Labyrinth is 
essentially a kids movie, but it's got some uh, some challenging themes to it. This this one, even so, if you if you ever find on YouTube some of uh, Jim Henson's early you know pre Sesame Street stuff, it's definitely not kids friendly. I mean, there's like cigarette ads and stuff that he did with like proto Muppets, um, <laughs> and you know some of the behind the scenes outtakes are pretty pretty adult. But I mean, what I liked about this now that I actually apparently sat down and watched it all the way through was the fact that it was not uh, the kids fair of, you know, Disney or something like that. What I think is kind of weird though, this is simultaneously something that, that wouldn't be made today and yet absolutely could be made today because you look at contemporaries to this were like the secret of Nim, you know, Don Bluth um, was around the same time. Cause this was 82. What was that? That was 83. I think. Uh, but that was similar. It was a kid's movie, but it was scary. It had scary moments. Um, so Last Unicorn, maybe? Yeah, Last Unicorn could fall into that. And and that's the thing is something like this, I think maybe in the last five to ten years, you could see a movie uh, in this vein getting made. But there was a good period of time where something like this just wouldn't have gotten made. Um, certainly not the way that it was. Now, Puppets you know, is another part of it. This was the first feature-length theatrical film that was live-action with puppets, but had um, zero human beings. Um, I think you could definitely tell at some of the points, you could tell when they would switch between an, a puppet gelfling and a person in a suit. Um, oh, yeah, there was a could, few times. You could, you could definitely see that. Um and the regarding the regarding the fact that it couldn't be made today, um, the, it definitely holds the feeling of a, a passion project, something that was wanted to be made because they wanted to make it, not because there was a demand for it. Yeah, and, no, definitely it was a passion project, and and I agree with that. What what I mean more along the lines is like you know from probably the early '90s through what 2010, it would have been really hard to get funding. For something like this it was hard enough to get the funding for it back in 82 you know in the late 70s and in fact jim henson so they they had a test screening it did not go well and the studio had been sold to a different company and that company wasn't going to give him any more money for the release so he actually bought the movie back from the producers and funded the release of the movie himself uh to make sure that it got uh it got proper like marketing so yeah and and one thing about this, um, it, it still holds up because of the level of production in the puppets and puppetry. Oh, yes. Wow. Well, yes, absolutely. Jim Henson, uh, Creature Shop, Unbelievable puppets. puppetry. Oh, yeah. Unreal. And, and just the sheer number of detailed puppets that are only used in single scenes. Yeah, like the, yeah. The, the shot where they just pan and swivel the camera through the swamp. Yeah. What? 50, 60 individual things moving at any given time. And I'll yeah. tell you, I noticed the one guy dressed as a tree, like, step out of the swamp <laughs> in that scene. Yeah. It's very small, but very cool. Yeah, there was, the visuals of this movie are just amazing. You know, and I should say the visuals in terms of the puppetry, um, there are some, some visual effect shots, some composited shots that didn't age very well, but... A little bit of rotoscoping, you know. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I can I can let some of that go given the time that it was made and the ambition behind the project. But man, the the work that Henson's uh, people did, both making it and then the performances. I mean, it's Jim Henson and Frank Oz are in there, but there's all the people doing the puppets and those. Um, uh, what were the big uh, lo like lobstery looking purple things? What were they called? Garthax. Garth or... Garthams. Those things apparently. <laughs> The, those costumes were so heavy that the the actors were required by law to get a break every five minutes. Oh wow! Oh, wow! That's... So they would uh, like they would devise ways that they could use them, um, use the the costume like on a wall so that they didn't have to be <laughs> horizontal all the time, like all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, was the other one was the mystics, the way that they had to walk around. Um, you, yeah, they, I actually yeah, watched a bit of the um, a bit of the behind the scenes because I own this movie and I've never watched the special features and um, 
those mystics, it's literally someone crouched. Yeah. Oh, like God. bent, knees bent and walking. Jeez, my, <laughs> my legs burn just thinking about that. Like, right. It, it takes me back to when I used to be a weightlifter and uh, it's – some some of the uh, flexibility training that we had to, that we did. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's it's not fun. And <laughs> the, the people who did this did this because they believed in it. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you know, there's some of the puppets are like Fizzgig was you know a little hand puppet, and I love I love shots like where where Fizzgig gets tossed up onto the Landstrider, just because uh, you can yeah. tell it was just somebody off camera just threw the puppet. Like little oh, yeah. things like that are great. Well, and. At the end, uh, when Jen, you know, finally puts the shard in, mm-hmm. and you just see like the marionette go flying yeah. off the yes. top. <laughs> but you know, it's it's stuff like that that just makes me like it even more. And it just some of the, vi- I mean, the mystics to me are probably my favorite visual uh, looking creature in the whole thing. I just love the way they look with the extra arms. The land striders yeah. were amazing looking. I can't imagine having to be in that costume too. Yeah, I did really enjoy yelling fizz gig. Yes, um, and uh, so did so did my son. He thought that was hilarious. <laughs> By the he way, absolutely loved it. So uh, another podcast did this movie a few months back, and I was listening to them, and they talked about fizz gig, and they mentioned that when fizz gig yells, he sounds like a tie fighter. <laughs> oh, kind of. I cannot unhear that now. Like they and and one of them, and I was trying to find. I wanted to find the clip. Because one of them took a shot of a TIE fighter, but but dubbed over Fizzgig yelling. And I, <laughs> I wanted to find that and put it in our chat just so you guys could see it. I couldn't find it. But, oh, man, it's so perfect. But, yeah. See, but for me, I, I couldn't, even if I had known that, I wouldn't have been able to hear it. Because Fizzgig is, um, what's his name, Dave Goals, and he's Gonzo oh, on Muppets. Mm, okay. And I could def- that's what I could hear, was that it sounded like Gonzo yelling. I get that, yeah. I didn't realize... I hadn't looked close enough to see if that was uh well he okay so Fizzgig oh uh, maybe it says that Dave Goals was the performer because a lot of the performers didn't do the voices oh. like Frank Oz performed Agra but he didn't do the voice in fact the voice of Agra is a little 6 degrees of separation for our show here uh it was Billy Whitehall who you might remember as Joyce Cooper in Hot Fuzz the the old lady doing the um crossword puzzle hmm Hmm. That was, yeah, that was the voice of Agra. Um, and if you think about it now, if you go back and listen, you can hear it. Uh, but I'm not sure. One of the things the... that I found really interesting is how they got Fizzgig to run around inside the castle. Oh, that you was know, great. It, Rolling around like yeah. that? It, there, there's no, I could not see a discernible track in the floor that would, I didn't see any kind of wiring pulling him. Stop motion? No. I don't think so. No, it looked too smooth to be stop motion. The stop motion at that time would have uh, wouldn't have had any motion blur. It was all go motion, or not even go motion yet. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the only thing that was really getting any kind of motion blur in the stop motion at that point in time was like when they did the tauntaun in uh, uh, Empire. Yeah, and you could clearly tell that that was that was the go yeah. motion. Yeah, that was go motion. You could clearly tell it was. Uh, this looked like it was just a ball rolling along. I don't know how they did that, but well, there was one part that I still can't figure out. Um, they're running, you know. She's just saved him from falling, and they're running out, and it's rolling, okay. And then it gets up on the rock, and then opens the mouth, and then keeps rolling. And I can't figure out how the hell they did that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Jim Henson and his people were wizards. I swear. Yeah. Um, no. So. Uh, the voice of Fizzgig was Percy Edwards, who I don't. Oh, know it was. It sounded all. like Gonzo, but maybe it's because I saw his name and somehow just yeah, that it could stuck be. I in mean, my head. I thought that uh, the Chamberlain, who was I think performed by uh, Frank Oz, yeah, he performed Frank, uh, the Chamberlain, but it wasn't his voice, even though it seemed very like Frank Yoda Oz S. style. Yeah, it was very Yoda. I love that. That was. Michael, uh, re- Michael. A couple years ago, there was this. a guy at Comic Con <laughs> dressed as the Chamberlain. Oh, he kept oh, wow. walking around, going, you know, making that mm, everywhere he went. Wow! And I think he got robbed because he only got second place. <sighs> he got robbed that year. <laughs> well, Michael started watching this with us, um, and he made it. Uh, 
made it about 15 minutes in and fell asleep, but it was, you know, 11 o'clock at night <laughs> or something. Uh, but he, he loved the Chamberlain, the, the little mm, thing that he kept doing. Um, please make peace. Yes. Please. So, so Keith, I got to ask now. You touched on it earlier, but you let William watch this, and he's oh what? yeah now four. Remind, okay, four years old. Oh. So he's young. This movie. Um, this movie came out the year that I was born. Right. Same. So th- this is this has been a favorite movie of mine for decades, and. It, it it always holds up. It never it never seems like it's so far out of place. Um, and I watched it with him. And mind you, he's four. He's got all the energy in the world because he drains it from me. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis, you of course know uh, my son sits still about as well as uh, he doesn't. He, he doesn't sit still. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He can't like he's playing like when he's playing dust. You know when he's playing video games. He's bouncing on the couch, play, doing playing a platformer. He he cannot sit still. My son was rooted to his seat, leaned as far forward as he could go without falling off the couch for the entirety of this movie. He was hmm. glued to it. That's amazing. Now, how did he how did he react to it? Because obviously, it's got some pretty intense imagery. Um, I did have to pause it when the emperor died and explain a little bit about death. That's I was going to ask. Yeah, because but he a... wasn't scared by it. Well, that's good. I mean, that's a at least he didn't seem scared by it. And usually, when he's scared, I know. Hmm. So, well, that's... He, he doesn't he doesn't make any attempt to hide it. That says so a lot about he... the movie, though. If if you could get William to sit still and watch this at four years yeah. old, that's pretty impressive. But I'm glad that you know. He didn't. He didn't get scared by it because I could see that happening, um, especially with like, another that. Ti- another time. I had to pause it so I could go to the restroom, and he was upset that I paused the movie. <laughs> oh well, you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad that you got to experience that with him as well. Oh that's yeah, that's really cool. And that's it's something else. Let's see, a- Travis. You were talking about kids possibly being scared of this, and I don't know if it's because. You know, I was able to watch kind of whatever I wanted growing up. So I watched rated R things all the time and none of it bothered me. But mm-hmm. this never scared me. No. And I, was I mean, never scared of this movie. Obviously, given that apparently I didn't watch it as a kid or at least not all the way through, <laughs> it didn't scare me necessarily. But you can see where some of that imagery could like the, the oh, Garthams. Sure. The Garthams for me rank right up there with the Wheelers from Return to Oz in terms of just, uh uh-uh, uh, nope. Don't want to deal with those. the Garthams and the Skeksis creeped out my little brother, and my mom is not a big fan of the Skeksis. Well, and, it, and they're just so they're so like otherworldly. They're so creepy. The way that they move, the way that they were puppeteered, <laughs> um, except for one shot. There was one that was very Muppet, and that was when they're doing the trial by stone, and uh, yeah. the he hits the thing, and then he like puts one hand on his hip. And kind of nods his head. I was like, "That's such a Muppet move, right there." Like that's well, re- you know, which I don't mind. Talking Jim Henson here. I know, and I love it. But it was like that was the one thing you could have shown me this movie without saying anything about it being uh, Jim Henson at all, and I would have known that it, somebody involved with a Henson production was working on that part. Um, no, I, in it, that um, in that behind the scenes thing where they were talking about the making of the puppets and yeah. things. Um, gosh, I can't think of his name. Frude, the guy that drew the sketch. Oh yeah, sketches. Yeah. Yep. Um, he said that the Skixies are part predatory bird, part dragon, part reptile, and I can totally see all of those things. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty. I astounding. definitely get a bit of vulture there. The beak, for sure. Yeah. But they had those like long, the, the featherless heads, and almost yeah. like skeleton hand claw things yeah they were definitely something to behold and each one of them looked a little bit different like the chamberlain was probably the the least creepy looking of them but yet at the same time he had that little bit of a grin the way that uh he was made so he would and you know it i mean credit to the performers when they can they can emote through those puppets the way that they do Um, right because you could always you could see the Chamberlain always scheming 
you know, through that performance, just the way that he would move and the, the way that they would puppeteer the eyes and everything. Apparently it took, I can't remember how many people they said it took to, to do those between them and the mystics was like three or four people because of the extra arms and the way they had to do the heads and everything. Uh, mm. So it was quite the undertaking, but well, well worth it. Now, the Gelflings, however, those actually creep me out more uh, because they, they really fall into that uncanny valley. They're like, yeah. They're yeah. just enough human-looking to be creepy because they don't quite look human, and they have sort of dead <laughs> eyes. Uh, I did see where in some of the early concept art they had blue skin, and then later on yeah, they had she, like blue hair or it something. Was a, it was a woman that designed them, and when she started, she said they were almost kind of like bear people. Mm-hmm. And Henson kept coming back with notes saying they need to look more human, you know, slim out their face. And she said she had the hardest time with Kira trying to make uh, something non-human look human and beautiful. Yeah, that I if I have one complaint about the movie, that's probably the only one is I feel like they're they could have with no human characters in the movie. And I, I sort of get maybe where Henson was going with like, oh, we need something that looks a little bit more human. I would have gone with a different skin tone or something to really separate them because it was just, it was too much uncanny Valley. You know, the rest of them, like they, neither Jen or Kira really are able to show as much emotion because of the, just the way the, the way they were designed in comparison to something like the, the design of, uh, you know, the mystics or, you know, the Skeksis, they just were able to emote a lot more. And I think part of that is that those were a completely different style of puppet. Like the Gelflings are marionettes. Yeah, that's true. And everything else is that Henson, you know, sculpted, you know, sewn three people operating a suit. Yeah, that's a good point. So marionettes are always going to be harder to, to get to go along with that. And then, of course, you can tell when it's the marionette and when it's just a person. Uh, yeah, you know, where you can sure. tell because the, the face wasn't in the shot. Yeah, anytime the then face. Then there didn't was more of a stoop to the movement. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was absolutely the the way they moved gave it away. But it was it was a little more Sesame Street bouncy walking. Now, having said that, I really like uh, the fact that they went all puppet, and I, you know, I, if this movie was made 15 years later, they would have been doing something animated with it, and I'm really curious to see how this series goes. Because from the trailer that I saw, well, they're going puppet, but you know they're going to augment. Well, yeah, that. I I was not on board with a prequel or sequel, or because when it was announced, there was nothing behind it, and I thought, oh god, it's going to be animated or CG. And then I watched the trailer, and I thought, oh my god, the Gelflings are still marionettes, the Skeksis are still people in suits. I'm mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah, no, they you can tell it's being made by people that loved. The original and that goes a long way i mean so there was talk of a sequel from what i was reading back when they were still making the first one and the only reason a sequel never got made or another i should say was it didn't do as well in the box office as they had hoped it didn't bomb it wasn't a box office bomb it just didn't do phenomenal but uh jim henson said early on and i saw an interview with him uh, that he was never going to make a direct sequel to this movie because he felt like the story was told and it wrapped up nicely. But he's like, you could certainly do a mo- another story in this world. Um, and that bounced around for quite a while. The the screenwriter, David O'Dell, had worked on something up until, like, I think 2006. He was still trying to get it done. But there was a um, 12-part comic book, apparently, that came out about seven years ago um, that's supposed to be another story that I kind of want to find. Um, because it looks really good. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. <laughs> I don't know much about it other than the fact that it was put out. Um, but uh, it's a 12-part comic series of The Dark Crystal. Um, and the couple of shots I saw, the artwork looked really good. So, um, But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see this new one because they are doing puppets. Now, there will be uh, computer-generated uh, or computer, you know, touch-ups here and there. Uh, there always is in just about anything anymore. But what what I'm curious about is how far they go in that direction. 
Um, hopefully, well, not if far. I read correctly, it is still Henson Studios. That's good. Working on it, which is run by no longer Brian Henson. He's out. He's off on his own. But his um, Jim Henson's daughter is running it. Oh, okay. And I think that because of like keeping her father's name, um, not pure, maybe, but <laughs> keeping the spirit intact. Yeah, there you go. I think it's it's going to be done in a nice way. And Henson Studios does do, uh, like if you've seen Mirror Mask, is, you know, almost all computer generated, mm-hmm. but still in that same, the same soul, I think is a good way to put it. So we'll I, see. I think what they did with Farscape was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, love that's just you know just another example of Henson work being Henson work, I and mean, it's it's a benchmark, it's a standard. Yeah. Well, and you can do you can like there's been a move the last I don't know probably ten years of filmmaking where they're using computers to augment, not just like we went through that whole phase where it was everything had to be computer generated, and we're, we'll do it in computers, and it looked terrible. Um, and we've gotten to the point now where the, the technology is such that you can do visual effects along with special effects and you can do it, you know, more along the lines of the way, say, you know, Star Wars, The Force Awakens or some of the newer Star Trek or, you know, the Marvel movies, the way that they they take stuff that's being done on set and then they expand on it or they augment it. Um, right. So I, I think that could work. You know, you could... You can do your marionette puppet for the Gelfling, but then you can tweak it a little bit and maybe actually give their eyes some, you know, some feeling uh, without or have it. a have an actual smile where yeah. when something makes them happy. Yeah, so not just uh, a just dead eye stare. Opening opening their mouth. Yeah. Right. <gasps> now, one thing that happened in this movie a few times that uh, reminded me of a movie we watched a few weeks ago was some internal monologue from Jen. Um, because mm. I talked about that a lot when we were doing. There was Dune. a lot. Yeah, well, in Dune, my that, son that actually remarked on that. Like, how is he talking? His mouth isn't moving. <laughs> I had to explain that this was this was his inner thoughts. Yeah, and it just—I don't. Maybe it's because I just watched Dune again, and they did it so much in that when it was done the exact same way, where there was no difference in the audio between inner monologue and spoken dialogue. That it was, it was a little. I don't want to say off-putting, but it was a little off. I think in this movie, it was definitely a a money-saving tactic oh, I'm sure. to not have to have a mouth move. <laughs> well, that and with the smaller puppet, it's hard to get you know a full range of facial motion, especially yeah. in '82. Yeah. Miniaturization <laughs> of equipment was not what then what it is now. That's true. But I think, I mean, even with that, and even with the the fact that the Gelflings just hit that uncanny valley too much, it's still just amazing looking. The matte paintings for all the backgrounds were phenomenal. I mean, it's a And you can't even tell they're paintings most of the time. No, you really can't. You know, there's only those few shots where you can see that they even did any kind of green screen-ish stuff. There's a couple shots towards the end where um, things are kind of washed out. Uh, But you can really... A lot of that could come from uh, just having that that immense amount of light coming off of the crystal and off of those beings. So you can sort of explain that away. But, I mean, on the whole, 90% of this movie just looks phenomenal. Um, And that's not even to get into the music. Uh, I love this score. Um, I don't know how much any of you were paying attention to it, but it was amazing score um from uh who was it that did it trevor jones i think is his name he did something ridiculous like cliffhanger it's he did cliffhanger yes yes or something he did yep no that was definitely him i knew Uh, the name let me find it here because it's gonna bug me until i do music trevor jones okay so some other stuff that trevor jones has done the music for um cliffhanger dark city told you uh, the Last oh, of the nice. Mohicans. Um, yeah, I mean, he's still working. 94 composer credits. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Terrible movie. Pr- probably pretty good music. You take that back. Never. No, I'm with Patty on this one. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was hot garbage. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that that is a guilty pleasure of mine. Yes. <laughs> I I am not going to I'm not going to say that it is a high quality or well written, but <laughs> dang if it ain't fun to watch. Ah, hmm. see, I can't even go with you on that. And you know me, I'm like the most positive person when it comes to movies. That there's just so much that they didn't, that they missed. There's so many yeah. times they missed when making that movie. Um, oh, so Trevor Jones also did the music for the uh, Merlin um, Hallmark Channel miniseries from late mm-hmm. 90s. And anybody so, that knows Travis knows he loves Merlin. I do. I definitely did. So, no, that's <laughs> that's really cool. I it, It's good. And the music, I... I'm actually going to go out and try and find this soundtrack because I would like to have it, like a copy of it. I, I enjoyed the music that much right from the beginning. Um, you know, sometimes music can kind of get lost in a movie, but in this movie, because there's so little, uh, really so little spoken dialogue, the music has to carry it. Um, and yeah. they did a great job of that. There was one bit of music. It was when Kira takes Jen to, you know, her clan, mm-hmm. the little potato people. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you mean the cantina scene? <laughs> and it sounded like Star Wars. They, it sounded like they were singing a song from Star Wars. Kind like of, Like yeah. Ewoks or something. Well, I like know, how there was two distinct horns. One was like uh, a more fluty sound while the other one sounded well, that more was like the a one buzzing Jen was reed. Playing, right? Jen was playing. Uh, no, well. no. There was uh, the, the indigenous folk there were playing two different things. And then he joined in on his, you know, double pipe thing. But there was a... There was a fluty sounding thing, and then there was uh, a more buzzing, uh, like a buzzing reed type of sound. Like an elbow or something. Yeah, almost like a double reed or something. It's funny that you call them potato people, Patty, because they were actually modeled off of potatoes. See? They, it's, it's good artwork then, because they look like tiny potato face fraggles. Yeah. That, yeah, fraggles. Yeah, That's why they look familiar. I was trying to place it the whole time. We even mentioned them earlier in it didn't click until now yeah the podlings were great and apparently what they were speaking was kind of uh, a bit of like croatian um huh. which i thought was interesting they had some croatian like words or phrases that they were using it's basically an alien language yeah might as well be to us. so okay so this was kind of cool reading about it originally um jim henson wanted the skeksis to not speak english they wanted he wanted them to have their own alien language um and they shot the movie with that and they subtitled in uh all their lines and that did not go well with the test screening so they had they ended up changing it i would love to have seen it like that i think that would have been really really cool to see you know i did like, think their mouth movements felt a little off like, yeah definitely even and more now so, you know why and no even more so bad. than than regular puppets where you have open or you have closed it felt a little different than that. Yeah, and I mean, he went so far as to have a linguist come in, and they were working on something. I think they were using like Greek and Egyptian, uh, or something like that. But unfortunately, the test audiences think, hated it. So I think, as an adult, that would be a very interesting way to do it, and it would make them seem more other. Mm-hmm. But it's a kids' movie, and who knows what age they are and can they read right and that's basically what it came and down how to how quickly can they read that's right. another thing they were not fast talkers the skexies no they weren't true but my son he's four he wouldn't have got it <laughs> yeah. did you notice too that there was about eight minutes of opening narration in this movie oh my god it just kept going I, so I, t- I took i actually wrote down some notes and my first note is Seriously, um, <laughs> look at all this exposition in a kid's movie. And then my next note is, seriously, why is there so much exposition? <laughs> I know. And I've talked a few times about uh, voiceovers and narration on this show. It's um, a theme. It kind of is. <laughs> However, this is a different type because this is not a... This isn't like the uh, the Blade Runner voiceover where it's one of the characters and you're getting that voiceover. This is the omniscient narrator. So it's a little different type, but this needed to be about, I don't know, a third the length that it was maybe. Because it just felt like, come on, get into it already. Because they go through, it's the whole story of the Skeksis, and then it, 
the same thing, but about the mystics. And I kind of, now that I've watched it a couple of times, especially recently, it's in my head and I sort of get it because they're setting up the fact that they're... That they're the same. Yeah, that they're the same. So I get that, but man, it just, especially over the weekend when I was watching it, it just felt like it just didn't end. Even though the, the get guy... Get on with it! Exactly. But the, <laughs> even though the voice that they had for it, the guy doing it was phenomenal and he sounded great. Um, I actually didn't have a problem with it. I mean, it, I felt that it, there it was, was enough long. going on in the movie later on that you kind of needed, you know, something. And I don't think that it was overdone. Well, it couldn't I, have I been that, that bad if Williams well sat through it. Yeah. It, but it, then it, again, this is a favorite movie of mine from my childhood. So try and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> and also during that open narrate opening narration, did we need Jen by the lake with no clothes on? Yeah, no doubt. What's with naked Jen? Yeah, <laughs> that was a little off putting. I'd forgotten about that. I must not have been paying attention because I was so bored with the narration. <laughs> I did not notice. That. Uh, My son noticed that. Yep. It's like, Dad, it was a tiny he's little no Starker marionette. Uh, so, so I was saying earlier about how the movie wasn't a complete bomb, and it wasn't. It made $40 million and had a $15 million budget, and that's just in the U.S. Here's the reason that it was a disappointment. It opened the same year as E.T. Mm. Mm. So E.T. just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. And, you know, that because this movie and John Carpenter's The Thing were out the same year. And both of those were box office disappointments in part because everyone went to see E.T. Um, what was the other one? The Thing. Oh, sure. Probably yeah, another movie you haven't seen. Correct. Uh, E.T. is one of the other movies I mentioned scared me. No, yeah, that has some <laughs> scary moments in it. But, you know, Spielberg, I think... When he's making a kid's movie, it, originally it was actually scarier, apparently. E.T. was. Yeah. Um, the thing about E.T. is his head always looked like he got a, an alarm clock stuck inside of his head, and that's why it was that <laughs> shape. That could that, do that, it. That, that was my initial take when I first saw E.T. Um, you know, it was kind of circling back to what we were saying earlier about kind of scaring kids. I think I kind of agree with Jim Henson in that Kids' stuff doesn't have to be sanitized. It doesn't have to be all happy all the time. Um, it's not a terrible thing for kids to be scared every so often, even a little bit. You know, If you look at some of the stuff that we had growing up, uh, that we being Keith and Patty and myself, um, you know, we had this. We had The Secret of Nim. We had movies like The Goonies or The Monster Squad, even when we got a little bit older, that were their kids' movies. But they're not Disney sanitized. They're not uh, Disney Channel type stuff. It's that nice middle ground between Mickey Mouse and Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, I mean, it pushes a little bit. It makes you a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit scared or, you know, something like that. A little bit uncomfortable, but not not so much that it's just completely overboard. Um, I was reading an article recently. Somebody had written about Ernest Scared Stupid and how it was too scary for kids at the time that it came out. And I don't agree with that at all, but I can see where somebody would think that through the lens of today, because we're so, people are so concerned with, you know, that wasn't the one where they were shooting cottage cheese at trolls with catapults. Was yeah, it? it was. Yeah, it was okay. exactly that one. Um, I must have missed that one. That's okay. Yeah, that, that, that sentence must've been something that David woke up today with absolutely no clue. He was going to hear oh. those words strung together in a single sentence. Oh, man, I saw a great sentence today. It was so good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's always that whole, you know, this sentence has never been spoken before <laughs> in history. Well, you know, and the thing about kids is kids are resilient, and they can handle a lot more than a lot of parents give them credit for. And I think, you know, proof of that is William sitting down at four years old and watching this. I mean, I can't. I can't say for certain that at four I wouldn't have gotten freaked out a little bit like by this, but I would say that, you know, given what I was able to watch at that age and, you know, a little bit older. I mean, I talked a couple weeks ago about getting to see Running Scared when I was like eight, and that's not a kid's movie. But, you know, the kid's movies that we just – that we had, just they could do a little bit more. Black Cauldron is another example of a, a kid's movie, a Disney movie even, that was – 
that was not overly sanitized. Um, and I think that's important because I think, I feel like that, that builds a little bit more. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I just, I enjoyed this movie and I can't believe that I made it this long without having seen it fully. I mean, it really was watching it for the first time over the weekend in an airport. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really cool that you were able to show William that and that he could handle it. I'm glad. He, I, I had, think I had more fun actually watching him enjoy the movie than watching the movie itself. And I love the movie. So. Well, that's good. Um, so I did capture a few clips. There's not a ton of dialogue, so I didn't do a lot of that. Um, but uh, I did get a couple of clips. Uh, there was, well, oh, okay. I, I'm hesitant to play this whole clip just because it's long, but it's the mystics um, making their noise. I'm going to play this. I'll probably stop it partway through just because, but uh, this was the mystics and their kind of ohm chant, um, which I just, I thought was great. And I want to keep this and be able to play it whenever. I could just listen to that all day. That's way too calm. I, I, I always enjoyed how each one was a different tone. Yeah, they had a nice harmony going on. Um, there was a ton. I mean, there was eight minutes of opening uh, narration, so I did grab a couple of those. Another word. I did look up that narrator's uh, actor. In the age and of- yeah. I, I, I couldn't find anything I recognized. He basically quit acting in the mid-70s. Oh, well, couldn't have been the mid... Oh, okay, so this would have been one of the last things he did then? Yeah. Gotcha, because this was late 80s, so... Early 80s. This was early 80s. Early 80s, my fault. Um, Yeah, okay, so let me play that one. He didn't do much. I'm going to play that one again, because I do like his voice. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. You know who he reminds me of, actually, is um, uh, Nichol Williamson, um, who, if you've ever seen Excalibur, he was um, he was Merlin in Excalibur. Or if you've seen Spawn, uh, he was whoever the other Hellspawn, uh, Cagliostro, I think was his name. That was Nichol Williamson. That's who this voice reminded me of when I was... Uh, listening to this earlier it reminded me of um charles dance actually of all people that's a that's a better comparison i i was thinking vincent price but it didn't have quite the same evil gravitas to it <laughs> no, it was almost really. like it's almost like you know paul patine if he wasn't a jerk yeah <laughs> um i did get the the chamberlain's noise uh, only one of them. There's actually a YouTube video of like a minute straight of just this noise. Just all the different uses of it throughout the movie. Um, but, I, uh, I have to confess, about every time he was about to do that, I would make the sound. And then <laughs> William, how did you know he was going to do that? He's in the scene. He's going to make the sound. Right. <laughs> I mean... This, uh, so I had to capture this line because this is not edited down. This is how quickly Jen makes this decision. He's just. I'm not ready to go alone. All right? Alone then. <laughs> it's like, oh, I only needed five seconds to completely change my mind. Um, yeah, that seemed to, it, it did seem a little forced <laughs> to me, but, you know, what are you going to do? You, you got so much time in a movie. Yeah. And the reluctant hero can only be so reluctant. I know. It's just, it's like, why even have him say, I'm not ready to go alone if he's just going to do a 180 within five seconds? I don't know. If he's just going to go alone. Right. Um, well, there was, I think he was, I think that was an admittance of inability rather than unwillingness. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Um, there was the trial. I was actually quite surprised with. <laughs> Go ahead. With just how young Henson made his voice sound. He did sound like, what, probably 15 or 16, like, like you know, adolescent. Uh, yeah, definitely yeah. in that range. Which I guess, you know, they, they talk a lot about young and gelflings. And I, one thing, I have to give this movie credit, I like when a movie does this, they didn't over-explain. 
They were just like, hey, we're on another world. There's stuff going on. It's weird. Whatever. Deal with it. You know. They we, had an eight-minute intro. Yeah, they did. But all they did was say the same thing three times. That's the thing. Like, they don't tell you anything about where the Skeksis came from. They don't tell you anything about the Gel... They're, they're like, there's two races, the Skeksis and the Mystics. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's the Gelflings, and then there's Agra, whatever she is. You know, they just... Agra's just Agra. Um, they never even actually mention the name of the world that they're on. I, I heard it in... I think I read it somewhere that it was Thra. T-H-R-A. It's Australia. <laughs> yeah. No, there was no drop bears. Um, there were no... But... Uh, I, I appreciate that in a movie where they do some world building, but they don't overdo it. Um, they, they give you just enough to outline the picture, and then you fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. You know, and there was a companion book I think that came out that had something to do with it. And you know, there's that um, comic that I was talking about earlier. Um, so you know, there's there's more information to be found certainly. But I just liked how I mean, Agra. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure the prequel series will touch most of this. If anyone was wondering, yeah, that's true. Oh, we're we're starting to lose you a little bit. I can't oh, wait for the Dark Crystal Cinematic Universe. <laughs> what was that, David? I can't wait for the Dark Crystal Cinematic Universe. <laughs> um, yeah. So this was another one, and I'm keeping I'm keeping this for my soundboard for forever. And it was uh, Agra saying, "Don't know." Uh, there's actually two of them, but you got this one. Don't know. And then... Don't know. <laughs> so, I don't know what I'm going to use that for yet, but I'm keeping it. Uh, just because... Hey, I Travis, just like what do you think you're going to use that for? Uh, don't know. There you go. And, and, and I had to, I had to capture Fizzgig. Seriously, it's a TIE fighter <laughs> flying by. Like, you can picture a TIE fighter, like, going from, you know, left to right past the camera. Such a great yeah. sound. Well, William great. even commented on the, the nice row of in the back of his mouth, too. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I know. He's got all kinds of teeth in the back of his mouth. And, uh... Um, go ahead. Like a furry shark. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what Anna said about him? Uh, yeah, actually. She kind of did. She loves his gig. I mean, Anna loves this movie, so this was a fun one to sit down and have her watch with me, too. Yeah. Um, we sort of talked about the puppetry earlier, but I just sort of wanted to say something about my favorite little bit of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the raw puppetry, uh, it wasn't really a good place to input it earlier. Um, the thing that specifically stuck out to me, other than the swamp scene with just the raw amount of movement, mm -hmm. which were probably only like a push or pull a lever level puppetry, but still impressive, um, was the eyes of the Skeksis. Oh, yeah. The the eyes would blink. They would rotate. They ha were on little stalks that had their own motion. When they're getting beamed in the eyes from the crystal, you got that one, you know, you could tell, you know, his eyelid is, like, twitching, and he's doing his best not to blink. Yeah. There were there were a few little touches like that. The one uh, Skeksis who becomes the emperor, he goes, you know, he gets like surprised by something and goes a little cross-eyed. Um, there was a shot of the Chamberlain where you saw like a little, uh, you could see him kind of breathing, like right down by his throat. Like it was all sorts of little details like that that were really cool. But yeah, the eyes definitely of the Skeksis, and that's what I was kind of saying earlier about how which the, was so weird about the Gelflings and how bad they look yeah, comparatively. Well, and Patty's right, though, them being marionettes, they're a very different kind of puppet. So they probably just didn't have, you know, they probably had one person working those, one or two people total, whereas the Skeksis might have had four or five puppeteers at once. Um, yeah. Um, there was a lot of well, waste the, the up shots. Well, the eye shot. motions and things could have been... I'm sorry, what? Oh, there, I'm, you know, there was a lot of waste up shots, and in those shots you got a lot more animation in all the characters. Yeah. And... You know, yeah. simply because you get to not have, you know, the seven puppeteers or whatever it is, or all the cables and cords going in there doing the thing that it has to do to make the this widget here tweak his cheek or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things I noticed puppetry-wise is when they're, when the scientist is taking the essence of the little potato man, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
seeing like the mouth twitch and then the face slowly become sunken. But if you watch the chest, his breath gets faster. His chest is heaving. Yeah. And I thought that was like fascinating. Yeah. And, and I noticed that a lot more, um, cause I watched it again last night and I noticed stuff like that a lot more in that second, uh, viewing this week, um, than I had noticed it before. But yeah, that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about where like that, that level of puppetry is just, it, it shows you, you feel something for that little dude. And I just didn't get that with the Gelflings. So, um, I did get one other line of dialogue from the Chamberlain because, and this is the, probably the most Yoda sounding, uh, that he was throughout the entire movie. I, I have done this. I have caught her. Like, I, you could have convinced me that that was Frank Oz, even though it's, <laughs> it's not. I would have believed you. Um, when so Billy Whitehall, who did Agra, you know, and did the don't know. Um, <laughs> when uh, just had to play it again. I did, I did, and um, I was telling Anna watching, and I'm like, you're never going to believe who did that voice. And she's like, who? And I said, well, remind me at the end of the movie. And then the credits start to roll, and she see Frank Oz as the performer for Agra, she thought he did the voice for it too. I'm like, eh, he's good. He's not that good. But, <laughs> um, and then I had to get a little bit of the music. I just have, I want to play this because this is just such good music. This was right at the end. Um, so here you go. I mean, that's that's great. Now, I did read that originally um, Trevor Jones was going to do something a lot more kind of synthy. Um, and they decided that they wanted to go with something more orchestrated to kind of give it that, that epic feeling, but also not make it feel too otherworldly. Um, I would be interested to hear what he would have come up with had he gone in that direction, but Having said that, I just like the music in this too much to, to change it. I, I don't think I can picture a Skeksy with a guitar, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of want somebody to, to uh, render that piece of art so that I may observe it. Now, see, I can absolutely see a Skeksy's rocking a guitar. I think that'd be something that they would do. <laughs> I mean, a Mystic, yeah. Well, but no, the Mystic's Actually, had, like... no, no, no. The Mystic would be playing one of those awesome double guitars. Well, yeah, because he's got four arms. Well, yeah. So it'd be easy. Wasn't there a scene where one of the mystics is playing a guitar? Uh, it was a stringed, stringed instrument. instrument anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He was playing something oh. and he was doing it with like, it's it was right after. Thing. It sounded like a harp. Yeah, or a was, harp maybe. Yeah. It was right after the uh, wisest of the mystics passed, which that was another nice dichotomy where they showed, you know, the emperor of the Skeksis dies and he crumbles and it's pretty violent, like not violent, but it's pretty jarring. And then the mystic passes away, and he just sparkles and disappears. And Henson's got a character for characters just vanishing. Yeah, he does. Well, you know, another kind of cool thing, though, was um, how the mystics sent his personal belongings to him in the afterlife, whereas the Skeksis all, like, stole all the Emperor's stuff. They had to take everything. (laughs) So I thought that was kind of neat. But that's also that sort of yin and yang thing. Yeah, yeah. And they really were there two sides of the same coin. And it's funny because there there was no arguing among the mystics about who was in charge. It really wasn't that anybody was in charge. He was just the wisest. Yeah. You know, it wasn't an actual title. It was just that was an attribute about him. You know, and and I mean, they kind of really hammered home how they were two sides of the same coin right from the beginning. But it kept coming up in little things, you know, uh, the Chamberlain gets cut on his hand by the, the crystal and then the quick cut to one of the mystics. And he's like, Oh, my hand hurts. And he looks down, and he's got a wound on it. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to see little, little details like that. Um, I don't, I just, overall. Well, and the fact that they're, that the Skixie's blood was red and the mystics blood was blue. I hadn't noticed that. Their bloods were sort of opposite color. Hmm. Huh? Yeah. 
I did not realize that. So, you know, yet I, another. I did like the effect how they disappeared the one mystic in the middle of the field. That I was like, cool. I was a big fan of that, but I was a bigger fan of how nobody cared. Yeah, <laughs> they just, just like, kept walking. Well, <laughs> they kind of they they were moving with a purpose at that point. They knew what was going to happen. Yeah, but still, they're just like, oh, yep, Dave's gone. All right, let's keep going. We we're making good time. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Keith, Patty, you'd both seen it before. Uh, we'll. I want to get your your uh, take on it, David. So, first time seeing the movie. Um, what what do you think? Uh, I've been talking about it positively for this hour, mm-hmm. um, but I've been talking about the positive aspects. I was not a huge fan of it. It didn't really grip me at all. It felt kind of rushed. Um, basically, the only thing I liked about it was the music and the puppetry. Everything else I thought was kind of missable. Now, how do you think, had you seen this at, you know, say, 8, 9, 10 years old... You might have. I probably would have hated it. You think so? Uh, Yeah, it would have terrified me. I tell you, it would have terrified me as a kid. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, basically, this being my first time seeing it all the way through, I enjoyed it. Uh, Kind of the same. I would say I have the same feelings that you do in terms of like the puppetry, the visuals, the music, outstanding. The story, not so much. But it's kids' movie, so having a simplistic story doesn't bother me that much and i can i can let i can certainly let that go a lot more in something that's aimed at a younger audience because it doesn't have to be overly complex well i'm not a child and they should have thought of me when they were making it maybe but uh okay when they were making this you hadn't been thought of yet my parents weren't hadn't met each other (laughs) oh man i keep forgetting how young you are that made um. me feel really old. <laughs> and and speaking for my son, who I had to put to bed before we got started, um, while I was tucking him in, he said he wants to watch that movie again, this movie again, and Aww. that I think that really speaks volumes as to how how well he took the movie, and it for him to want to sit down and watch a movie again, like a movie length movie, yeah, like. He can't sit through Moana, and he loves that movie. <laughs> well, that's you know? that's really good. I and and again, I'm glad that you you got to experience that with him. But I'm also kind of glad that you ex, uh, exposed him to a movie like this because I think it it goes a long way. I maybe wouldn't have done it at four, but you know, then again, William is a different kind of kid, so he can obviously he, is, he could handle it. Yeah, he is my mini me. Yeah, that's true. Um. No, I overall I liked this movie a lot. Um, there are definitely things that make it not a perfect movie, but it's certainly I had no problem watching it a second time this week, um, and not just because I was doing the you know for the show. Um, I just genuinely enjoyed watching it a second time. I'm hoping to get Michael to be able to stay awake long enough to watch it because I think he would enjoy it. He liked the 20 minutes or so that. In fact, driving home today, he was making the the Chamberlain noise. A little mm, <laughs> in the car, mm. so so that yeah, that was pretty cool. Well, I, I could see William picking that up too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all right for for any of you listening to this show for the first time, um, we we produce we put out a new episode every week. Uh, comes out Saturdays, um, and you can find the show on you know Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. But the easiest way to find it is to go to tvstravis.com. And there's a big subscribe button right there. Because the show is still new and it's still you know fairly small, it doesn't show up in a lot of searches. Um, so that's the easiest way to go about that is uh, finding it at tvstravis.com. Download, um, you know, subscribe, get the new ones every week. I don't know what we're doing next week. Uh, I haven't decided what movie yet. So if anyone has any suggestions, let me know. Um, but uh, I do want to thank the three of you for joining me. Um, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, I want to say thank you to Patty. Thank you. You're welcome. And we got to get you you and or Joe on some more episodes. I'm kind of bummed that Joe didn't want to do Kung Fu Joe Hustle. especially. we got to get him working. Yeah, we really do. Um, but uh, also thanks, David. Yes, the perennial uh, never seen it guy. Yeah, nope, you... Uh, you are the one who keeps the thinly, um, thinly veiled uh, reason that we do this show alive and kicking. Uh, 
So that works. And Keith, thanks for, for watching. I'm really glad that you got to watch it with William and get yeah. to show him this movie. It it was great. We'll just have to remember to schedule episodes of kids mo- kid-friendly movies when you have William so you can watch him. Oh, yeah. And he's he's definitely not ready to sit down and put on a headset and talk with no. the masses yet. But no, he, we... he'll go off on something else. <laughs> I would take his opinion. Uh, maybe. maybe get the uh, Ninja Turtles. I think Turtle. a kid's opinion would be great. I think if, if we, we do the first Ninja it. Turtles movie, maybe he would be able to talk about just that. But I'm going to remember that because I'm pretty certain David hasn't seen that one. Which one? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which one? 1990. Uh, you know, is that the one where they like all fall through like three consecutive floors? Uh, they fall That's through. Like the only detail I can remember for whatever reason. I think it's one or two. It might have been, yeah. But they and those were Jim Henson. I, I, I know I've seen part of that. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Okay, those were uh, Jim Henson creature shop uh, suits too. Yeah, they should have used them for the second and third movies. But... They did for the second. They didn't for the third. The second one was still Jim Henson though. Uh, but that's a discussion right. for a different time. Uh, no, but again, thank you guys for, for joining me this week. This was a, a fun one. I still can't believe I hadn't seen this all the way through, and it just drives me up a wall that that happened. But um, no, uh, you know, basically uh, that's that's it for this week. We'll figure out what we're doing next week. But um, until then, as we always say, enjoy your movies.